This episode is brought to you by the revolutionary Muslim matrimonial site, Half Our Deen, which uses science, not swipes, to help you find the other half. On Half Our Deen, you can learn about their personality, interests, and view up to 158 answers to marriage-related questions so you don't waste time with people that you're not compatible with. With over 2,500 success stories, Half Our Deen has quickly become the number one choice for marriage-minded Muslims. Divorce is on the rise amongst Muslims. Is happily ever after an illusion? What are some elements of a strong, healthy marriage? In this episode, we're discussing how to navigate your way towards a stronger relationship with your partner, challenges that may arise and how to address them, and when it may be time to consider a divorce. Assalamu alaikum, and welcome to another episode of the Remastered Podcast. I'm your host, Munira Madison, and today I'm joined by a very special guest, Dr. Samira Ahmed, and we're talking about marriage and navigating your way to a stronger relationship. How are you doing today, Dr. Samira? Alhamdulillah, it's so great to be here today. Alhamdulillah, we are so excited to have you. Um, you know, for our listeners who may not be familiar with Dr. Samira Ahmed, she is the executive director of the Family and Youth Institute and holds a PhD in clinical psychology with a private clinical practice in Canton, Michigan. Dr. Ahmed is a leading expert on American Muslim youth and has produced numerous groundbreaking breaking publications, including the State of American Muslim Youth, Uplifting Black Muslim Youth, Prevalence of Risk Behaviors of U.S. Muslim College Students, and Alcohol Use Among U.S. Muslim College Students. She's best known for her ability to transform research into practical resources tailored to the American Muslim community. Dr. Ahmed has been a community activist at both the grassroots and national levels for over 30 years including serving as a vice president for MSA National and as a board member of the Muslim American Society. So you are part of our mass family, alhamdulillah. I very much indeed. And I love, 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 love working with mass. So <laughs> for, being, for allowing me to be a part of this today. And we absolutely love all the work that you and your team are doing at the FY. I Institute. I mean, it's such vital work. Um, and inshallah, we'll cover some of the findings that you've done uh, when it comes to marriage in the Muslim community today. I look forward to doing that. So starting off, um, when we're looking, when we're talking about marital relations in the Muslim community, uh, most people would be shocked to know that one in three Muslim couples actually end up in divorce. Um, what do you think is leading to this? Well, I mean, recognize that there are a lot of different things going on, right? So there's one, there's changing gender roles and expectations. Um, and so, and we also have different expectations of what it takes to be in a marriage, what are the roles and responsibilities of a spouse, the demands of what's going on, what are expected for our generation is very different than maybe our parents' generation. Um, and there's all of that going on. Um, and then also we're having more issues with our family and in-laws. Um, there is, I mean, there've always been those issues and throughout time and throughout cultures, but with the stress, with all these changes, and, you know, a lot of times we're struggling with our communication. So those types of things make it get even larger. Um, and then, you know, sometimes we're taking a different approach in terms of marriage. Um, and then, you know, with the stresses of parenting or kind of work or kind of looking after, if you're part of sandwich generation, looking after your parents as well as looking after your kids, there really isn't much time together. And we haven't really met, like, we haven't really kind of 
mentored our generation or kind of really showed what it looks like to kind of spend to really invest in a relationship we know all about parenting and how much you know all the different things that we need to do but we don't spend as much time kind of nurturing our relationship um so i think that's another factor um and then just different you know additional like different attitudes and um kind of uh understanding approach to islam as well as different attitudes about intimacy so there's there's just a big, big bag of things that that's really impacting us exactly yeah something we often hear working with young adults and young professionals is you know, marriage is half of my dean. Why do you want to get married? It's half my dean. I want to complete my dean. And when we evaluate that or reflect on that comment and element, it's like, okay, why is it half of your dean? And they're like, okay, it's my second half. It's almost like this secular society and understanding of love that we see in the movies has shaped how we understand that message. And then we go in and say, okay, but it's really about terbiya. And like, why is it half your dean? There's a lot of terbiya that is required to make a marriage successful. <laughs> um, so when we're looking at that, like, do you think that the cultural divide and kind of this um, identity crisis that a lot of first, second, third generation Muslims are going through has contributed to some of the issues you see leading to divorce? I mean, I think, so I think what we need to really think about it is kind of our expectations. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things, you know, when you talk about, you know, the, the hadith, many of us think about, you know, uh, marriage is half our being, right? You know, I, again, growing up, I thought that as well. And then I realized when I got married, when I got married, I was like, oh, now I know why it's like that. It's a totally different meaning. Right. It's truly marriage is a character building experience, like no other, like, okay, marriage and then parenting, like no other, nothing can prepare you for marriage. Um, And the reason why you see that is because of the fact that you learn so much about yourself. Mm. You learn so much about, you know, all of these principles and values were taught in Islam about sacrifice, sincerity, all of that is really put to the test when it comes to marriage. Mm. Um, and so I think part of that is uh, reframing when we're thinking about, you know, half your deal, what's that about? Right. It's really putting your values and beliefs to the test when it comes to marriage. Um, and, and the other thing is to recognize is, you know, you know, first of all, the Muslim community is diverse. And so when you're talking about first generation, second generation, it's you're talking about first gen- second generation immigrants. Um, immigrant origin <clears throat> individuals, but you also have individuals who are Black and Muslim and, mm-hmm. you know, been here for generation and generation. And so they're, the issues that they're struggling, maybe struggling with, maybe a little different than, you know, what immigrant origin young people may be struggling with. Um, and then those who are converting to Islam or, you know, and so their challenges are also a little bit different in terms of managing expectations. And so with all of that, um, there are a lot, there are just a diverse set of expectations that need to be acknowledged, addressed, and discussed. And a lot of that doesn't happen at the onset. A lot of that should be happening during the courting stage where you're really trying to figure out, are we compatible or not? And so what happens is that conversation doesn't happen, happen up front beforehand. People get married and they're like, whoa, what's going on? Like, this isn't working. Well, because you haven't done the pre work that needs to be done. And so that's a big issue. Um, and part of the reason why we don't do it is we haven't kind of gone into it. We haven't, that hasn't become a norm in our culture right now. Mm-hmm. 
because we're like, well, my parents never did that. My grandparents never did it. It worked out, but did it, you know? Mm-hmm. When I think about the marriages around me, there aren't that many marriages that I would say, you know, look like the prophetic model. Right. Um, and so we're content and, you know, with what's been passed and why can't we have something better? Um, so I think that the expectations and um, recognizing that a lot of work needs to be done beforehand is important. Exactly. I was smiling very much when you mentioned the diversity of our Muslim community. Um, we don't often see a lot of programming or research, you know, really encompassing all of that. I myself am a convert. So I was very happy that you mentioned that diversity in our community. Um, you mentioned the prophetic model. What are some elements of a successful relationship? First off? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's actually a topic I love talking about. Um, so when I look at the, you know, I think when you look at the prophet and how he was, it's truly amazing and so beautiful. I wish more of us knew um, about it. And so like, you know, when you think about like just the small things, like when you think about like, he had such a deep and profound understanding of his wives, right? So like when the prophet says, um, you know, he's talking with Aisha radiallahu anha and he kind of jokingly is like saying, you know, well, I know when you're upset with me. And she's like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, when things are great between us, you swear by the Lord of Muhammad. But when they have, when we have problems, you're swearing by the Lord of Ibrahim, right? And so just that understanding and like really paying attention to what she does, when and how, like that depth of understanding of, of your spouse, like he had and he showed. I mean, and so that's like, that's just beautiful. Or the fact that like, when he like expressed, like, when he expressed his affection, he didn't have that shyness or, or like, feeling like, oh, I'm too much of a man, or, you know, any of that stuff. No, he like was totally okay publicly claiming, you know, sh- sharing his love for Aisha anha amongst his sahabis. Like one time, I think um, Amal bin As came up to the Prophet and asked him, you know, who, uh, who is the most beloved to you, right? And so he's expecting it's gonna be him because else why, why else would he say, say something like that? And he, or if not him, at least one of the warriors, right? And the Prophet Sassam, like immediately is like Aisha, right? And he's like, okay, fine, okay, she's your wife and everything. But then he's like, okay, well, then, then next. And then the Prophet Sassam responds, her father. She does, he doesn't say Abu Bakr, right? It's her father, because it's still coming back to her. Mm-hmm. And so, really, that focus and that love and that, you know, being totally okay, transparent about her, his love, that just kind of is, is beautiful. Um, and there's just so many different things that he would do and how he verbally, non-verbally, you know, the time he spent hanging out together, like all of that is just so beautiful. Um, like how much time he spent communicating um, mm-hmm. with his wife. Like, you know, Aisha Radilaho on how talks about how at night when, you know, they'd lie down that they, you know, that they engage in pillow talk and they would talk not like, it wasn't like, okay, talk five minutes and then, okay, I got to do my thing you know, he would talk until she was satisfied and he would ask and confirm like, okay, you know, you know, you know, is there anything else you want to talk about? Again, like I remember when I first got married and, you know, talking and it was funny. My husband was like, is this an interrogation session? Like what's going on? (laughs) And, but you know, so like 
there's so much HICMA and like in that process because when you're communicating and you you know you've gone through the day and stress at work, stress at home, stress at you know online, like whatever all the different things are going on, this is an opportunity where you're kind of telling about your day, telling about your worldview, your experiences, what's impacting you. And so when you're communicating that information, you're able to get your, you get, you're able to better understand your spouse's worldview and experience, mm-hmm. right? And so I find that so amazing that the Prophet took the time and effort and made sure that he was in tune with his wife. And he knew what was their worldview, what their experiences. And so, you know, giving that time for pillow talk, so essential. Um, and it really shapes the relationship. And then it wasn't just about talking. Like, they did things together. And, you know, there's, a, you know, the hadith of the Prophet, and everything that doesn't involve the remembrance of Allah is, you know, is, is futile, senseless. Like, it's not, it's, it's not worth it. It's all wasted, except for four acts. And the first act, that he mentions is a man entertaining his wife. Like subhanAllah, like that it's so important. And you see him doing it in his life. You see him, you know, take, you know, taking Aisha radiallahu anha and watching kind of, um, you know, entertainment at the masjid. And not only is he watching, he's taking her, he's putting, you know, her, her, cheek, her cheek is there, is on him. He's asking her how long he, she wants to watch, making sure, you know, he's sensitive to, you know, is she getting bored? Does she want to spend more time? Like, he's just being so sensitive to her needs. Um, it's just beautiful. Um, and, and it's not just, just watching, but then they're actually racing with each other and competing with each other. And it's just that togetherness um, that respect for one and each other, that entertainment, that kind of chill time, I mean, he, he invested in it, despite all the different things that he's dealing with. Um, and so I think those are just some examples that just amazes me about the Prophet Sassam, that you, know, you have this wisdom, you have his life that we see in front of us, and yet we don't take it. We don't try to implement it in our lives. And I think that's a loss that we have. Yes, I, I completely agree. I was actually really surprised. I went on a Sierra retreat and really dove deep into uh, Prophet Muhammad Wasallam's life and relationships. And I was shocked because up until that point, all the hadiths and all of the examples I had been given were about service, were about worship, were about other things it wasn't about the relationships between him and his wife and those intimate relationships and how he upheld them, but really it was an extension of all of this service and worship and how he did all of that with Ihsan. And, um, you know, we find like all of our, our world is just a rat race right now. People say, Oh, I'm too busy for that. Oh, I'm too busy for that. So the fact that you pointed out, like having that authentic time to connect with one another is so important. And if somebody like our Prophet وسلم, with all he was doing could take time to do that, we can learn from that example, subhanAllah. Um, so these are some elements of a successful relationship and what we can really learn from the prophetic model. How can somebody, if they find their relationship on the rocks, right? They, they weren't able to learn these things beforehand or life circumstances really hit them hard and they just find a disconnect with their spouse and they're wondering how do I get back on course what what are some steps that they could take 
and some resources perhaps that they could be pointed to? Yeah, you know, what happens oftentimes, um, you know, one of the things is, you know, you get into the marriage, you, know, you have all these dreams and hopes and slowly one by one, you know, you get distracted, you get busy, or you have these hurts that kind of, you know, the, the hurt keeps getting deeper and deeper and the resentment grows. And one of the things is, if you're, if you're there, you need to first acknowledge it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that people say is, you know, people think, well, if I, if I don't talk about it, I'll go away, or maybe they'll change, or, you know, um, something will happen. And no, that's not how, how it works. Like, if there's an issue, you need to identify it. You need to, ref- you know, sometimes you don't know what it is. Sometimes you just need to reflect on, okay, what's going on? Um, but bring it to attention to your spouse. Because sometimes, you know, what I see in my practice is, you know, one, sp- one spouse is totally fine. Like, everything's great and going great. The other spouse is slowly becoming more and more resentful over time. And then one day they kind of like, okay, that's it. Like, this mm-hmm. is too much. And it's, they've already reached the point of no return. Right. You have to catch yourself before that time period. And when you do that, you know, it will take some time to kind of really kind of advocate for yourself. Because if you're the type of personality that, you know, like, okay, forget it, you know, Mavish, you know, kind of kind of go, you know, don't worry about it, don't worry about it. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's 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 too much. Your spouse has no clue. Um, because they're not the one who's bur- who's bearing the burden of the of the pain. They're not the one who's having the issue. Are, sometimes it is, and they just don't want to deal with it. But part of that is acknowledging it. And once you acknowledge it, you really need to work towards making change. Now, making change can look could could look like you know reading books and articles. Mm-hmm. A lot of those resources on our you know on our email list on our website. Um, you can attend a class again. FYI does classes online and there are tons of other videos online that you can just you know watch a video at a time um, and just kind of just watch it but then also discuss it mm-hmm. okay learn this concept what does that look like for us what are we doing and so what that does it starts giving you a new vocabulary in your relationship it kind of talks about okay is this happening with us within us if not when it does happen okay these are the things that we can do if it does happen you know I wonder if this is what's going on with me, right? It gives you new, new vocabulary, new knowledge to work on. Now, sometimes it doesn't work, meaning spouses aren't willing to read articles. They're, you know, everyone's kind of defended. Like they right. don't do, do work on the issue. It's not my issue. It's your issue. Well, then, you know, that's, it's time to go to therapist, right? It's time to work with somebody who is a professional, um, oftentimes we might go to individuals who are friends and they may make things worse. Some, you know, some may have lots, you can give good advice, but some may not be able to help you out very well. And so I would highly recommend you see a therapist. And again, not every therapist is the same. You have to make sure you have somebody who has a background and experience um, and make sure that it's a good fit for you. And, you know, and for those of you who are not familiar with the therapy process, the FYI does have a therapist infographic that kind of walks you through what to look for. How do you know you have a good therapist and uh, make this work? And as you're doing all that, you know, both of you really need to be open to change. Mm-hmm. Both need to work on yourself, focus your efforts and energy on yourself and not the other person. Because you can only control yourself. You can't control the other person. You can create an opportunity. You can create an environment. But ultimately, your spouse can make the changes that need to be made for himself or herself. 
and only you can control what you can do. And I think that's a, that's a key element. Yes, exactly. And this all points back again to terbia, like within, within the relationship and also a level of self-awareness, like all of the elements you spoke to when it comes to a successful relationship are definitely needed now if you came to the point where you're in conflict and there's resentment building. Um, oftentimes we find like the nefs really becomes like it emerges again, regardless of what spiritual work you've done because you're just triggered so much, right? Um, and, and it's important to recognize that some mm-hmm. of that triggering may not have anything to do with your spouse. It could be your personal issues. And so that's why it's really important <clears throat> to really reflect you know, what part of this is being triggered by my past mm-hmm. and to acknowledge it and do that work. And I think one of the things that's really inter- important for us as a community to recognize is that the Prophet encouraged us to seek knowledge and treatment and help from wherever you get it, right? And so sometimes for some people, there is that stigma associated with seeking help, talking about your issues, talking about your problems with somebody else, right? There, or maybe there's a mental health stigma. <clears throat> and so part of it is recognizing where that's coming from, right? When we look at the Quran, we look at the prophetic model you see a very positive psychological approach to dealing with all these social issues. Like amazingly positive. Like I can't even tell you how much you can't read like a page of the Quran without seeing psychology in there at all. Right. And so we are coming from this legacy. And then when we look at the history of psychology, not just for the Muslim community, but in general, you see that Muslims were the leaders in the field of psychology. We, you know, we had mental mental health institutions way before they existed in the Western world. We see different scholars talking about different approaches to therapy, um, taking a multimodal approach, like multiple multidisciplinary approach. You see all of that as part of our legacy, right? But what happened was in the 13th century, you see the increase in illiteracy, increase in um, not when you have that increase in illiteracy, the knowledge of our community kind of fell. Mm-hmm. And that fell, that's where the stigma started to develop. And so mm-hmm. it's important for us to recognize our history and our legacy in the field because we were the leaders in mental health therapy and uh, mental health uh, services, you know, have been a part of our legacy for so long. And we have to acknowledge by, you know, when we need help to get help. Um, and to make sure we use all the resources we can to get our marriages right on the, on the right on the track again. Exactly. Yeah. Oftentimes, you know, a lot of people, they're afraid to seek the help due to the stigma or we're airing our dirty laundry and like, we don't do that in our family, that sort of thing. Um, thank you for speaking to that. Jazakallah khair. It's really, really an important message. Um, when... So we've covered like, what are the, what are the elements of the successful marriage and the prophetic model and what we can learn from it? If you're experiencing difficulty, what are some steps you can take and resources you can go towards? Now, what about assessing whether or not you really should get divorced? What are some red flags? What are some boundaries where these situations are really not okay? Um, and how can someone assess if they really should uh, get a divorce? Because as we know, in our community, it's really stigmatized. So this is a very difficult decision. Yeah, I mean, I think first of all, um, and you want to think of 
if you find in your relationship that your spouse is very controlling, you know, either controlling in terms of who you hang out with, um, what you what you wear, what who your you know, your schedule financially is not giving you information. You're not part of you know the bank accounts, the house, or you know all of that stuff. Or they're extremely jealous. Like that controlling, that manipulation is a major red flag. If they are physically or em- or emotionally hurtful in any way, there's no room for it in the cell. Like period. Um, so that includes even name calling, putting putting you down, disrespecting you. You know those things. Are, those are all emotional hurtful. Those are red flags, or even stuff like you know constantly blaming you for everything, never taking any personal responsibility, um, and you start finding that you're feeling on edge all the time. You're afraid of making mistakes. You're made to feel that like you're not even good enough for them. Like that's a bad place to be. And that's, those are major red flags. Um, and then sometimes what, what people do is they throw, they throw a kind of a curveball at you and they do love bombing. And that's mm-hmm. like tons of attention at one point and then totally withdraw to, emo, emotionally. And then you're like, okay, well, I know they love me, but then I'm really confused by their actions. So the, that kind of mixed bag of kind of actions and behaviors, those are all red flags. Mm-hmm are things that that's going on that's not healthy and if you have tried to make change and they're stonewalling they're not willing to do it you know then that's something you want to kind of think about and what we have um, at the family youth institute um, one of the things we found in the research is individuals who are going through this process felt alone mm-hmm. like there has they had no direction and didn't know what to do and so we put together a divorce support toolkit. And that's for anybody who um, is thinking about divorce, have questions about divorce, want to know kind of the process, what are the things to think about, all of that. And we have different sections, like for initially the section on like, is divorce even right for me? Like, you know, mm-hmm. I tried everything um, and, you know, and kind of helps you, walks you through that process because, you know, it is very scary. It is very lonely. Um, but sometimes it is the most healthiest thing to do is to get a divorce. Mm-hmm. You, and if you have kids, you know, sometimes people stay in a marriage or, you know, for the kids. Right. But you, if you're modeling negative relationships, guess what? That's the model for your child. Mm-hmm. It's an unsafe environment. You've got to put your kid into an unsafe place. Like those are all things that we need to think about. It. And it's not just your relationship. It's a multi-generational impact. That you're gonna do. So sometimes really divorce is the best thing. I think one of the things we also have to think about the prophetic time period, divorce was accessible. It right. was a part of the community. There wasn't that stigma that we have, uh, that we have now. And I think part of that is what we need to do as a community is to recognize there is a time and place for divorce and we need to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Dr. Samira, we've covered, you know, some of the hard red flags, the hard lines when you really know you need to seek help in your relationship. What about just some of the things we deal with in marriage? Like part of that there'd be a component. It's not exactly divorce uh, yet, but we're struggling. What are those common pitfalls? So what happens oftentimes is what I see like in, in 
my case in my in my clinic is you have a lot of times um, a misunderstanding the other person, miscommunication that happens, and so you see some your spouse triggers you, and you're based on you know they trigger something from your past or something something that you're sensitive about, you're really vulnerable about, and then you're assuming that they intended on doing it. You assume things and without clarifying, and so that's something that often happens. And what we really need to be doing is one, kind of really pay attention to what's going on. Like, okay, what, you know, I'm really upset. I'm you know, really, you know, feeling something. What's going on? Why is that happening? And how much of it is me? How much is it, you know, something that they did? And then when that happens, really clarifying, you know, you did this, and this is how it impacted me. Did, you know, what did you really mean by that? And so you create mm-hmm. space for them to be like, oh, you know, that's not what I intended. I really meant X, Y, or Z. What we to do is mind read and think oh I know exactly why they did it they did that on purpose they did that, that we kind of go <laughs> that no or or the other thing we say we well if they truly love me they would x y or z no only Allah knows what's in your mind period exactly and so you really need to be able to speak you know and, and communicate and that's why that communication part question is so 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 important if you hurt, you need to communicate it. If you have a need, you need to communicate it. If you also just want to explore something, you just, you need to talk about it. Communication is so important. And how we communicate as well. Like the example that you just gave was very different than what I've heard sometimes, you know, like you did this, why did you do that? It was very different than how you just proposed that question. Um, so how we communicate, how can we learn to communicate better with one another? I think part of it, there's a ton of resources. I mean, that's why I has a ton of resources. There are, you know, Gottman, John Gottman has his, mm-hmm. you know, the four horsemen of a cop, uh, apocalypse. You know, he's got you know, the, what we found from the research, you know, the four things that really impact communication. There's tons of books. So I think the key thing is to, as a couple, start reading and working on that relationship and really reflect on, okay, what am I? Like, and oftentimes in a relationship, you have someone who is a withdrawer and another person mm-hmm. who's a restorer. Like the withdrawer, whenever there's a conflict, there's a conf- they kind of withdraw and they maybe they need to process. But the more they withdraw, the pursuer kind of keeps pursuing. No, no, we got to deal with it now because the more they kind of, your spouse withdraws, that scares the pursuer because like, hey, we need to address this. And the more the pursuer pursues, the withdrawal is right. And it just becomes a mess, right? And so that typical, you know, and that happens in so many couples. Or what's even worse is you have two withdrawers married to each other. Nothing ever gets it resolved. Nothing ever gets addressed, right? Really trying to read those, read kind of those kind of resources and say, okay, well, which one are we? And then that highlights, okay, when someone is doing something, okay, why are they doing it? Is it to protect them? It sounds, are they feeling unsafe? You know, it creates opportunities for conversation. And I think those are the things that we want to be able to create to deepen our relationships. Exactly. And so th- you spoke to the, the difference in needs, like having an avoidant attachment style or having, you know, a different attachment style. Um, what about when it comes to just life balance, like having different goals, having different types of schedules, all of that? Uh, what helps a couple really come to a point where they can have a successful relationship when they're experiencing differences like that? So I think a lot of times what happens in relationships, we jump into our relationships and we just kind of 
do our naming, <clears throat> do our kind of everyday stuff. Um, and yeah, you know, each other's likes and dislikes, but do you truly know them? Like we don't do ta'aruf with each other, right? And, and when I mean ta'aruf, I mean the deeper level of ta'aruf, of really getting to know each other, mm-hmm. your past, your present, your future, your fears, your the things that really make you feel vulnerable, your worldview, your hopes, like the deeper things, people don't really know about each other. And that also takes time. And I've been married for almost 25 years and I'm still discovering things about my husband and he's still discovering things about me. And it's that ongoing da'aruf that needs to happen. Um, And part of it is when you're able to be vulnerable with each other and being able to say, you know, that hurt or, you know, I'm not really liking the way I'm feeling about this. I don't think you're doing it intentionally, but I have to tell you, this is really challenging for me. And so when you're having those conversations, it's an opportunity for the two of you to really kind of sit with that and reflect and explore. It's not it's your fault, my fault. It's something's not working. Let's figure it out. It's more of a team approach. Partnership. Exactly. Exactly. Um, So last three takeaways for our couples or for young professionals listening who may want to be, who may be in a relationship, may be married and want to improve their relationship. What are some three implementable action items they could start today without having to go to a counselor yet or uh, take a course on emotional intelligence or communication? How can they start it literally tonight? First of all, muhasaba is your best friend. Accountability. Reflect daily on your actions, what you're doing, what are you doing to bring you and your spouse closer to each other? You know, have you said kind words to each other? Have you appreciated them? Have you expressed your love? Have you read something today to really change the dynamic or improve the dynamics of your relationship? You know, so really engaging in regular muhasiba, right? Second is really learning to reflect and communicate, right? So if you're feeling something, if you're noticing something, if you're not sure about something, take that moment, kind of figure out what's going on internally for you, and then learn to express that. Now, for some people, that's not a big deal. But for other people, I'm an indirect communicator. It is very hard for me to be very open. And so that's kind of my struggle right but you have to do it you have to push yourself to really communicate or else you're going to build it's going to build up in resentment yeah so first is muhasiba second is learning to communicate third is really to really work towards a mindset of constantly growth a growth mindset Mm. you're always thinking and doing and trying to improve the relationship in whatever capacity you can, reading, five-minute read, five-minute video, five-minute, you know, kind of speaking with a mentor um, who's happily married, you know, something on a regular, consistent basis. Those three things, I think, will make a huge difference in the relationship. All right, Dr. Ahmed, in closing, um, just going back really to Allah, right? As Muslims, Allah is central to our lives. How do we incorporate him into our marriages? 
Now that's <clears throat> that's a really uh, profound question. Um, and I think what we tend to kind of think about um, it's we don't, we forget that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is part of our relationship, right? It's not just me and my spouse, but Allah anchors that relationship. And he anchors in the sense that we have to recognize that he's always watching us. And he knows what's in our mind, our spouse doesn't. He knows what our capabilities are, our spouse doesn't. And as he knows us so intimately, like no other, not even your spouse, he also knows you know, when our ego is involved, when we can do things and we don't do it out of our, you know, kind of our ego, our arrogance, whatever. He knows, he's watching how we're every day treating each, our, each other. And he also is aware of, you know, every positive action, every time that we've pushed ourselves to the max to please him by pleasing our spouse, right? So recognizing that he's part of this relationship, even more intimate than our spouse, and we're accountable to him, meaning Allah, in all of our actions, what we do and we don't do. In addition, we also need to turn to him to continue to bless our relationship. You know, if you have a great relationship, great. Constantly go back to him and ask him to, you know, make dua for your spouse. Ask him to continue to bless the relationship. Ask him to continue to get put barakah and, and, and to also to keep um, the rahmah between the two of you, to, to really make sure there is that love more that with, with, between the two and that continues throughout life because a lot of things happen in life, a lot of trials and tribulation, and you need Allah on your side, by your side, in your marriage, at all times, every single moment, blessing it. And if, you're, if you have that constant awareness that he's in this relationship and he's watching and he's going to, he's taking accountability of what's going on, inshallah, and you're asking him for the help and support, inshallah, you're, you know, it'll really be, make a huge difference in the relationship. Inshallah. And of course, that of, that also helps if you do get to the point where you are parting ways. It helps you know that you yourself have held yourself accountable in the eyes of Allah, in your actions and your deeds. And also it helps you know, you, like you said, it's a very lonely process once you get, get to that point. So it helps you turn back to Allah in those times as well. Um, so just keeping Allah as a foundation in your relationship, alhamdulillah. Just, to, just, just, just to add to that also, yeah. like if you do part your ways, to recognize that whatever you say or do, because sometimes you get very angry and resentful mm. to the other person, to remember Allah's watching and he's keeping score and he's documenting and he, and it's all going to come back because sometimes we say things so hurtful in those moments. Mm. Um, and just to, be, to, just to be aware of that. Exactly. Alhamdulillah. Jazakallah khair, Dr. Ahmed. I mean, we could talk all day about this topic um, and about a lot of topics, actually, because FYI goes over not only marriage and relationships, but a plethora of topics that we need to cover and that are vital in our in our community. So I would love for you to share, like, how can we learn more about what FYI is doing, about your work? How can we tune in and really take advantage of any resources that you know about? Sure. I mean, the FYI is here for you. 
right? We are here for you at every stage of your life, whether you're young, you know, whether you're looking to get married, married, parenting, at every stage of your life, we have resources. And what's awesome is that the resources are is our research-based and they're in tune with the realities of our community. And so what we really do is we try to do the original research, pair it with our community realities, um, as well as inspired by our faith and develop these resources in varying different formats. We have, you know, we'll come out to the communities and we'll do workshops. We can, we have um, articles that we send out on a, on a daily basis that, you know, five minute chunks of information that you can improve your relationship in your marriage um, and, you know, mental health. We have that available. We have resources on our website. So I would, you know, I would encourage you to kind of, to explore our website, the fyi.org um, and just really, Look at all the different resources available to you, no matter what stage of life you're at. We have something for you. Wonderful. Alhamdulillah. And Jazakallah khair to you for even being able to have these resources and have this work out there. Alhamdulillah. Um, we are so, so blessed and honored to have you on our podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, this is Munir Madison with the Remastered Podcast signing off. Until next time, assalamualaikum. This episode is brought to you by the revolutionary Muslim matrimonial site, Half Our Deen, which uses science, not swipes, to help you find the other half. On Half Our Deen, you can learn about their personality, interests, and view up to 158 answers to marriage-related questions so you don't waste time with people that you're not compatible with. With over 2,500 success stories, Half Our Deen has quickly become the number one choice for marriage-minded Muslims. 